By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, the psalm says, and by the breath of his mouth, all the heavenly host. You know how it went. In the beginning, God spoke that great let there be, and there was. And then what God made, what he commanded, he saw, scripture said. Seven times in the book of Genesis chapter 1, we hear that the Lord God made and then perceived. His sight brought in evaluation. The light, the land, the seas, the trees, the sun, the moon, the stars, the fish, the birds, the animals, all were seen by God. And when he saw, he judged. Good. And then finally, when he had made man, when he had made Adam and Eve, male and female, God saw, scripture says, and beheld, and it was all in his estimation very good. God's sight, God's vision, led and leads to a verdict. Sight and judgment go together, because after all, we are created in the image of this creator, in the image of this perceiver, in the image of the Lord who is the judge. And so we too see. We see things and we perceive them, and what we take in, we mull over in our minds. We see and we give verdicts, good, bad, somewhere in between, but through it all, the vision of our eye leads to the judgment of our mind. But unlike our Lord, our eyes don't always work the way they should, do they? Now, we'd like to believe that we can look at a thing, and without any bias, we can all figure out whether it's good or whether it's not good. We'd like to believe that we can judge a thing with perfect objectivity. But truth be told, our eyes often see what they want to see. They perceive what they want to perceive. And so two very different sets of eyes can look at the exact same situation. I'm sure you've all had this experience and come to a different verdict. Two very different sets of eyes can see the exact same thing and come to opposing judgments. Because our eyes get clouded, don't they? Our past experiences prejudice us. They set us up for future events. And so you know how it goes. One bad interaction with a coworker leads to another. One bad experience with a company, and we're never going to buy from them again. It's all bad stuff. One bad experience, one bad exchange with a neighbor, with a friend perhaps, can color everything else that we ever hear or see from that person. It often happens in the church this way. The pastor says something that somebody doesn't like, and so from then on, all pastors are seen through those eyes. But it's not just the pastor, right? It could be the people of a congregation. Some experience in the church in my past always prevents me from seeing things as they really are. So we begin to see things that aren't actually there. We perceive slights, we perceive insults when none are really meant. And we need someone to come along and tell us, you're seeing things all wrong. You're not understanding. You're reading into things. You're seeing into things that aren't really there. Our eyes, we might put it this way this morning, are not always full of light. Jesus said it like this, if your eye is evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now I say all of that to you this morning because I want you to consider your eyes and your judgments. Are your eyes working right? 
Are the judgments that you render in this world, are they accurate or are they, are they occluded? Now, when I ask you that question, are your eyes working right, I don't mean do you see what you're supposed to see when you're 20 feet away. 2020, 2010, 2040 is not really the point this morning. No, our point is, are we perceiving things? Are we making the proper judgments? Jesus, in his parable, put the question to us like this. Do you begrudge me because I am good? Do you begrudge my generosity? That's the way that our translation puts it. But behind that, the Greek word is a little more literal. It goes like this. Jesus asked them through that parable, is your eye evil because I am good? That is, do you judge me correctly? Or is your eye full of darkness like the men who worked in the vineyard? In the beginning, God saw all that he had made, and behold, he saw, and it was very good. And Adam and Eve were to see that too, right? Adam and Eve were to see everything that the Lord God had given them as it really was, as very good. All of it was his gift to them. They were to see that he had made it all, and beholding everything that he had made, they ought to have seen that God was goodness itself, right? Not just that he did good things, that he happened to make a good thing here or there, but that he himself was the very definition of good. Martin Luther once claimed that that's why we call God, God. That God, that name, that title is derived from the word good. And while that may not be etymologically true, it's accurate, isn't it? God is God because he is good. And yet we don't always perceive him that way, do we? So this morning, ask yourself this question that Jesus highlights in his parable. Is your eye evil because he is so good? Are your eyes clouded? Or are they functioning the right way? Do you know that the Lord is goodness himself? Or do you suppose him, do you suppose him maybe to be holding out on you? Has God done some kind of wrong? Has God done some kind of injustice? Has he been a stingy God? Has he been a manipulative God? Has he been somehow mean or weak or uncaring or unloving to each and every one of you? People conclude that, don't they? They look at the state of their lives, they look at the state of the world, and they conclude God isn't doing what he ought to do. He isn't giving me what he ought to give. He isn't giving the world what he ought to give. But Jesus has come so that you may see. Jesus came to give sight to the blind. And again, I don't just mean that he came to make sure that everybody saw from 20 feet what they're supposed to see from 20 feet. Jesus came so that you would see the Lord and see him for what he really is, very good. That's what Jesus' parables do for us, don't they? They reach back and they kind of have a way of retelling the whole Old Testament in these images. And they also reach forward and they have a way of Jesus speaking about the church and about each and every one of us. And so in the parables, we can see quite often the story of Israel and the Gentiles. And we can see also ourselves. We can see the story of the Lord and of his church, and we perceive in the parables of Jesus something of ourselves. But ultimately, the parables are not just a story to find ourselves in. They are a revelation of who our Lord is. 
And so ask yourself this morning, what is in the eye of the Lord, the master of the vineyard? The kingdom of heaven is like a man who had a vineyard, Jesus said. And we are to see there Jesus representing God, our Father in heaven, as this rich owner of a vineyard. And when he looks out on his vineyard, what does he see? Well, he sees plenty of opportunity, doesn't he? He sees a vineyard that is supposed to be fruitful, a vineyard that is supposed to be full of grapes that you can turn into wine. After all, that's what grapes are good for, aren't they? The Lord God created everything in heaven and on earth to be fruitful, to be full of joy and gladness. And so he looked at that vineyard and looked out into the world and said there ought to be workers in here. In the parable, you see this man, this master of the vineyard, who is consumed, isn't he, with hiring people. He is obsessed, we might say, with hiring people. So he rises first thing in the morning, and even before he drinks his coffee, he runs out into the marketplace and says, let me get some workers into my vineyard. And he does it again at the third hour, and he does it again at the ninth hour, and he does it, well, the sixth, and then he does it again at the ninth hour. The master of the vineyard, the Lord, wants workers in his vineyard. Now, we might be able to understand that, after all, if you're an employer or if you're a foreman or if you're a boss or even if you just work for someone, you understand that you need workers to produce things, right? You need to have employees to produce some product. And most owners, most managers, want there to be lots of product because lots of product means lots of profit, But the master of the vineyard doesn't seem to be thinking about his profits at all, does he? If he was thinking of his profits, then he would have just hired everybody at the first hour. He wouldn't have gone out certainly at the sixth hour. That's just half a day's work. He wouldn't have gone out again at the ninth hour, and he definitely would not have gone out at the eleventh hour. I mean, think of that, right? If you get hired at one hour before the day is over, before the work is over. You have only just enough time to get into the vineyard to be told, okay, that's your vine right over there. Go over to it. You can probably only bring in one bushel full of grapes. And yet the master of the vineyard sees to it that all those who are out in the marketplace are called to his vineyard. Not because he wants to gain profits for himself, but because in his sight, in his vision, Giving to his employees is the point. The master of the vineyard wants to be generous. He doesn't want to just have lots of profits. The master of the vineyard wants to hire those laborers and he wants to bless them. He wants to give to them more than they could ever possibly deserve. And in that you are to see a picture that Jesus shows you of your heavenly father. God is not some kind of stingy master who is holding back on you. God does not use you. He does not manipulate you to get something else. Our Lord God in heaven above, in mercy, has created you. In mercy, he has sent his son to die for you. And in mercy, he sends his Holy Spirit to call you to that truth so that you may know him as the good Lord, so that you may know that he provides for all of your needs of body and of soul. He is a generous master, is he not? In his mind, in his eye, what is very good is not just that there's workers in the vineyard, not just that the bottom line is growing, but what is very good to him is that he would bless those who he calls. Now compare that with the sight of the servants. 
We can see in here again something of Jesus kind of retelling the story of the Old Testament, can't we? Time after time after time, the Israelites who were called by God, the Israelites who were promised every good thing from their Lord, the Israelites who he made an oath with, who he set his love on, grumbled again and again and again, did they not? It's so hard to be God's people. It's so hard to be set apart. It's so hard to be holy. We just want to be like all the other nations. We want a king like the nations have. We don't want the Lord as our king. We want the things that the other nations have. We don't want the things that the Lord gives us. And so we can read Jesus' parable and see how he is meaning to correct the vision of the Israelites. But the parable also stretches into our time, doesn't it? Because just like them, we have our way of getting things all twisted up. We have our way of getting our vision all screwed up. Think of those servants there in the vineyard. What did they see that day? Think of those who were hired first. They got out to the marketplace and they saw this wealthy man coming out to hire them. And he agreed with them for a denarius. That was the standard payment for a day. Everything was just right. Everything was just so. They went into the vineyard and they probably found everything to be just like it was supposed to be. What do you do in a vineyard? You work through the heat of the day. You bear the burden of the day. You pick grapes. You put them in your basket. You bring them in. You go back out. It was just what they expected. And they saw throughout the day more and more and more and more and more and more and more workers coming in. And they probably figured at first, hey, this is pretty good, right? Because the more of us there are, the less work there is to do, right? Many hands make light work. But I wonder if those vineyard workers by the sixth hour started to wonder, or by the ninth hour started to think, and definitely by the eleventh hour started to say to themselves, can he really pay us all? Can he really pay each and every one of us? But they figured probably, well, we agreed to it, right? We had a contract. We had a covenant. We had a promise. And so we can hold him to his promise. And then, then they saw how generous the master was, right? They saw those 11th hour workers coming up and receiving a full denarius. And you can bet, because Jesus tells us, right? You can bet how they figured in their hearts, oh man, they got a denarius for one hour. I've been working for 12 I'm going to get 12 days, work, 12 days worth of wages for one day. This is better than overtime work. This is better than holiday pay. This is 12 times pay. This is going to be really good. And then they got what they were promised. And their eyes got all screwed up, didn't they? Hey, wait a minute. We've been working really hard. Hey, wait a minute. We've had to bear the burden of the day. Hey, wait a minute. We've had to work through all of the heat. And you paid these guys who just got here the same as us. That's not right. Their eyes got all screwed up because they were thinking of their payment all wrong, weren't they? They were thinking only of what they could get for themselves and not about what their Lord had promised them. This is the way envy works all the time, isn't it? The more envious we become, the worse we see our present situation. The more we focus on what everybody else gets and what everybody else doesn't get, the more screwed up our eyes become about what we have gotten. And so it is so easy, isn't it, to look out into the world, to look into someone else's life and to say, well, God didn't give me what he gave to you. 
God didn't do for me what he did for you. That's not right. We compare God's grace, which is what this parable is all about, to wages. And we think like we think about money, right? If someone else gets more of it, well, then I'm not getting what I should get. Or if someone else gets more, that means what I do get is somehow worth less. That's how inflation goes, right? So if the master gives out so much to everybody else, that makes what he gives me a whole lot less. But God's grace is not like inflatable money. God's grace isn't even like perishable gold. God's grace is rich beyond measure. And so what he has given to you is never diminished. Let me repeat that. What God has given to each and every one of you is never diminished. What has he promised to each and every one of you? He has promised to send his son to take your sins away. He has promised to shed his blood. Jesus has promised that his blood is shed for you, that your sin is taken away, that your death has been destroyed, and that you have a share in his eternal life. Now, if he gives that to each and every one of you, what has he held back? What has he not given you? Oh, he may not have given you everything that he's given to everybody else. To some, he gives more. To some, he gives less. But to all, our Lord is generous. To all, he gives the promise of his grace. And it is no small thing. In the parable, Jesus says that he gave to each a full denarius. And we are to see there a picture of his love. We are to see a picture of God's grace. He promises to all grace, the forgiveness of sins, the promise of eternal life. And if that seems small to you, if that seems like no big deal, if that seems like, well, but couldn't you give me something else? It is because you are not seeing as things should be seen. For here is God's goodness made manifest. When everything else in the world is all screwed up, when everything else in your life is taken away, your heavenly Father has still promised his grace and he will not go back on his promise. So do not see him as some kind of a miser. Do not see him as somehow holding out on you or giving you a hard life while he gives everyone else an easy life. He gives to each as he wills and he gives to all the promise of his grace. When you see God that way, when you understand him through his son, Jesus Christ, then your eyes will be full of light. Then you will see as you ought to see. And when your eyes are full of light, when you know God as your gracious heavenly father, then you, are to, you will see everything else the right way too. Those workers in the vineyard, if they had known what a generous man their master was, they would not have grumbled at him. Those workers in that vineyard would not have even thought, like maybe some of you are thinking this morning, well, then, you know, what would be really good is to just spend the whole day wasting away and show up at the 11th hour. I sometimes wonder, you know, if Jesus kept telling the parable, what would have happened the next day? Would anyone have shown up in the workplace in the morning? Or would they all have waited until the 11th hour thinking, well, he's going to do the same thing he did today, tomorrow? But suppose that they saw the generosity of their master and they thought like they ought to have thought how good it is to work for this man, how good it is to work in this vineyard, how good it is even to bear the burden of the day and the heat of the day when you are working for such a generous and such a good man. 
That is the conclusion that we are to draw today. That is what it means to see the Lord rightly, to perceive him as he ought to be perceived. To know God by grace changes the way you look at everything in your life. For he is not holding back from you. He is not giving you labors that are to crush you. He is not giving heat that is to destroy you. No, he gives you all things to make you strong. He gives you all things to make you know him more and more and more as the one who is goodness personified. So let your eyes be full of light. Let your eyes be full of the light of Jesus Christ who reveals to you the grace of your heavenly Father. Let your eyes see the Lord this way so that you may deem him as he truly is. You may judge him as he truly is. Not just good, not just very good but your perfect and loving heavenly Father who gives you all things by his grace. To him be glory now and forever. Amen.